The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mysteries of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with Danielle Dolsky, author of Woman Most Wild Three Keys for Liberating the Witch Within. Today, though, we're focused on Danielle's second book, The Holy Wild, a heathen Bible for the untamed woman. In this conversation, we talk about ancestral inheritance and its influence on our spellcraft, as well as mothering as witchcraft, and we touch on the effects of whiteness, capitalism, and patriarchy on our spiritual practice. It's definitely a toothsome conversation, and I found Danielle very relatable, and I suspect you will too. And so here's my conversation with Danielle Dulski. So Danielle, what identities do you lead with? I am first and foremost a witch and maybe secondarily so storyteller. Sometimes those go together. I'm a mother. I am an artist and I'm a mischief maker. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's fitting then that your book, Holy Wild, is is, um, full of other mischief making. uh, Um, In your book, you offer a revisionist. It's, it's, It's called revisionist, I think, on the liner notes, but but I would almost say a remembering or, um, you know, a rediscovering of mythologies of a number of dark goddesses. Um, and some of them are really popular or becoming more Instagram popular, like Lilith <laughs> and Mary Magdalene. But there's also some that for many of us are perhaps a bit well, uh, less well known, like Salome and Jezebel and the mother of Babylon. I'm curious if you had to pick one at this time in your life that you feel most in solidarity with who would that be? And could you tell us her story? Mm, I love that question. Uh, For a very long time in my life, I felt very Lilith. And (laughs) I realized uh, maybe some sometime early summer that I no longer feel as, you know, what I would associate with the Lilith archetype as, as, you know, maybe rage filled, righteously rage filled. but for a long time I did. And now uh, I think I would say I identify most with the mother of Babylon or, or you know, the whore of Babylon as she is in the Bible. Um, she, in the book of Revelation, she's, she's the, you know, epitome of all, she's the mother of all abominations, right? And harlots. And she has this beast that's, you know, tattooed and was the, the hallmark of evil, according to my born again Christian upbringing. And so I just remember being so intrigued by this one figure who could embody like all things evil and, but, you know, be, be different than the devil. Um, and, you know, somehow also be a harbinger of the end times, right? And thinking that was just so interesting. <laughs> and so I, I've increasingly identified more and more with her. Um, when I was traveling, it was like the summer of 2017, I was traveling in uh, London and I went to this great witch shop there that's so old called the Atlantis Bookshop, like older than anything we have here in the Mm -hmm. United States. 
and they had her picture like just this hand-drawn picture of the mother of Babylon on the wall and I thought that's me that looks just like me <laughs> so uh, I, I think I would have to say the mother of Babylon. I mean, in, in the Holy Wild, her story is written as if she's a prophetess. So she's the archetype that I introduce in the Book of Fire. So um, even though the Book of Fire, the rituals and the ceremonies and the verses, they are kind of angry and rage-filled. I feel that her, the revisioning of her story isn't so much about anger as it is about action. Um, and not performative action but, but like the re the real action that people might not see um and also what one of the things that she says in in uh in the revision tale is don't look to me to tell you what to do you know she has all of these people kind of come to her and be like tell us what to do and she's like you know what to do already so go out and do it um and uh, it's funny, I was thinking about that tale the other day because when I recorded the audiobook for The Holy Wild, it was one year ago on election day when mm -hmm. I was reading that like revision tale. Um, and I just like couldn't get through it without crying. Like they had to keep, <laughs> they had to keep stopping the recording and then starting it again. Cause it was like, I was feeling it so much. This like, go out and vote. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and that's like a line in the, <laughs> in the story too. Outvote them, out dance them, out pray them. Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i'm feeling very mother of babylon <laughs> to answer your question <laughs> how do you relate to her as a mother mm, yes so i am the mother of two white boys and <laughs> so trying to raise them to you know to be the change agents that i think they can be um and you know, trying to navigate what that means mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in this world right now. Um, but I do think, you know, the mother of Babylon is a truth teller. And I try to just tell them the truth as much as possible. And uh, a lot of that includes telling them when I feel I've screwed up mm -hmm. <laughs> as a mother, which I know that my mother didn't do a lot for me. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a level of um, helping them navigate the world as soon to be white men and uh and being and not trying to hide anything from them right mm -hmm. because you know trying to tell them the whole world's been set up for you mm -hmm. <laughs> and so and so here's what what you can do to make it better and more um you know more more equal for those that don't look like you or or have all of the you know paths laid out before them that you do uh and they're only 10 and 13 and i don't really feel like i've said anything too soon i feel like everything that i tell them they are like yeah we get it so mm. um yeah so there's some kind of intersection between the end times mm -hmm. <laughs> and being able to teach your young white boys what it means to be uh privileged and mm. yeah 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that many stories that nobody else is going to tell them are becoming more and more um, important for the continuation even of, of humans as a species. And so right. the stories that they know or that everybody will want to reinforce for them, or not everybody, but much of the, the Western capitalist patriarchal world is going to want mm-hmm. to, um, how fortunate for all of us that you know you you there you have an example you are an example of um, a different way of doing that and how to inoculate them from that trance that they can um, fall under the Mm-hmm. the spell of white supremacy and patriarchy. Uh, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the part of the book where you wrote about spellcraft, and this is a quote, a priestess must consider how her magic is a conversation with the global community and the universal order of things. So you provide this very clarifying question that practitioners can ask themselves um, before conducting their magic, which is, how is my having this positively affecting the world? And so... I'm thinking about your parenting as a form of magical practice, even, you know, you're doing a lot of unbinding and, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and casting new spells. When you consider the influences of whiteness and capitalists on um, even just how we're learning about magic and witchcraft these days, like, have you found ways to highlight that within your work to, you know, ensure that priestesses don't succumb also to that wave of spiritual materialism that's delivered via Instagram these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think that that is the, the center point of my work as a uh, witch and teacher is that if, if witches always want proof that their spells work, right? <laughs> and so, so I, we can always start there. <laughs> so, so no matter... No matter what the nature of their their tradition is, we always want proof that what we're doing works. It's not it's not a tradition of of blind faith, right? <laughs> and so, what I usually tell people is that your magic is so much more effective when you acknowledge that it's a dance between yourself and then all that is. So. Uh, one of the kind of poisons of of tr- what I would call traditional Wicca, or maybe the more palatable witchcraft, uh, is this idea that it's you know you as witch so strong manipulating all of the energies in order to get what you want, <laughs> and that's just such a tiny, tiny, so superficial part of it that you know if you approach it in that way. I don't know if you're going to cause much harm because it won't be that effective anyway, right? <laughs> so if you're looking for your magic to actually work and be, be uh, you know, something that weaves you into the world in which you live, then it's important to acknowledge not only the light and the dark, uh, but everything in between. So, so non-duality and that your magic is a conversation. So it's all about, it's all about energy exchange. So one of the, the examples that I, I tend to offer is this idea of, of working with deity. So you don't have to work with deity in order to be a witch or anything. But if you do, then the deities of your ancestries, they're kind of like these deep wells of energy that people have made deposits of prayer into or drumming or all of the things that they've done, all of the ceremonies and rituals have made these tiny deposits into this great big account that is this deity that would be like your ancestral inheritance. So every time 
I clean my altar for Danu, who's one of the Celtic goddesses that I work with. Um, you know, I'm making another deposit into that well. But if I were to say, like, I'm going to call on Kali to remove all of my obstacles, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've never made any deposits into her account, and nor have my ancestors made any deposits into her account, then it's just not going to be effective. It's not going to work because it's about balance. So I haven't paid anything in. And so I'm asking to get something back and I won't. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, you know, magic is about, is always about conversation. It's always about, you know, putting in and taking out and uh, being sovereign within the collective. So we can be totally sovereign creatures and sovereign witches and yet exist within this collective. And so uh, when you attach your personal magic to something that's bigger than you, um, it will be, you know, it's not only a good thing to do, right? Good manners, but it'll also be that much more effective. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Can I follow up on this? Because mm -hmm. I can imagine that a lot of uh, the, the white witches right now listening are going, mm -hmm. how did you learn to, how did you discern um, mm -hmm. what was right relationship then or what was, what was a, a good mutual exchange? And, I, I, and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm personally wondering, did you have mentors along the path who revealed to you your, you know, your whiteness and, and like maybe, mm -hmm. and I'm also curious about folks who then, let's say they're uh, white of European ancestry and they're thinking right now, oh, well, I've put lots of deposits into, you know, mm -hmm. um, the Native American spirituality because I've been to tons of sweat lodges or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, so can you actually just keep talking a little bit more about this unpacking yeah. and right relationship with whiteness and your spirituality? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in terms of how did I figure it out, I made a ton of mistakes and in i i'm uh i've always been pretty like investigative with my witchcraft you know so if i if i tried a spell and i felt like i put all i had into it and then it didn't work you know i would go back and be like well you know why didn't that work and by the by the same extension if i put, if i did a spell and it felt very good while i was doing it and it worked then that was the path that i followed so i think that that's kind of the first step is is you know, you, you, you do have to be a little bit um, of a detective and, and, and you take inventories and you journal and you write things. So there is an element of discipline to it, which mm -hmm. I think that maybe the, the softer Instagrammy witchcraft that you were talking about before <laughs> sometimes misses. I mean, it's, it's hard work. It's not like, uh, you know, something that you do when you have five minutes. I mean, you can do it then also, but you know what I'm saying. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it does take actual work to be able to make these energetic investments. Uh, so that, and uh, in terms of, I, I do think that it's possible to make deposits into uh, accounts that aren't necessarily yours. I think the sticky thing is when you're teaching them um, and mm. making money off of them. Um, I think that it's always about having a teacher that is indigenous to that tradition to get, tell you what's right and what's not and what you have the right to do and what you don't and to always look at it as a signal within yourself like an embodied signal if you get told no 
you know, mm-hmm. how, do you, how, do you, how do you receive that? And if you receive it not well, then maybe that's not the path for you, right? So mm-hmm. there's a necessary humility to following these traditions that don't run in our blood. Um, so what I usually tell newer witches is that when you're working with uh, traditions of your own ancestry, the it's like the the door's already open for you there, you know. So it's much easier to uh, to to walk through and figure out what feels right for you and what will be part of your path and what won't be. It doesn't it doesn't have to be like, well, this is in my blood. I must do it. It doesn't have to be that either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it is an easier road to walk. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for me personally, what I have found is um, it's almost um, obviousness after the fact when you start to learn about your own ancestral practices that you probably are already doing them or you were probably right. already drawn to them. There was probably already some kind of thing that made you like take that random course that time or, you know, go to that place when you were backpacking when you were 17 and now here you are 44 being like, oh my God, that was, you know, I'm doing my <laughs> genealogy and that's where my people were from. Like I had no idea, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. So that can be kind of a fun sort of scavenger hunt too is to like learn about uh, your ancestry if you know what it is. Um, in the mm-hmm. section of the book um, called The Book of Fire, which you mentioned earlier, you, you wrote a part called Blessed Be the Hearth Holding Women, the Heathen's Right to Rest. And as you've been talking about the work and the discipline, um, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's, it, it really connects. But also that was a part of the book that I, when I read it, I could tell that a part of me really needed <laughs> to read it and, and like really connected and, and needed to hear that. Um, it's definitely challenging for me to like stop creating, stop moving forward, stop, stop reading resisting oppression, like not keep working to build resilience for me and my community. It's just, especially in the face of climate collapse and sort of converging um, emergencies that have a really high sense of urgency. And I'm guessing also that a lot of my listeners need to hear that message too. Can you share why you wrote that part and what you want people to know about this aspect of working with the fire element, this, this kind of interesting paradox between fire and rest? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, we, we, we can only take so much. <laughs> we can only do so much. And um, the, the, the time of year, you know, pre, pre-Yule coming up toward winter solstice, it is this time of void. And um, the, the void is something that I tend to with all that I am, and it does take strategy because by nature, I am not a restful woman. (laughs) And and I do have a deep, deep part of me that if I get under my fear enough of resting, it's like, I feel that if I'm not creating something that I'm going to die. Like that's how, that's how like uh, deep seated this, this sense of, you know, always keep moving, uh, always keep fighting is within me. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels Mm -hmm. that way. Um, and, and, and also like, if I'm not, I realized this uh, a year or so ago, that if I'm not fighting something, I will create a fight because, <laughs> because, because I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't even know who I am if I'm not fighting something. So, so, so I'm saying all of that, you know, as a caveat that I am no beacon of restfulness. Right. So, so this is my medicine as well. Um, 
but but this this time of void like our best medicine is rest and reflection and and these tiny rituals that don't deplete our resources um because all of society is just on the verge of telling us to fill the void with shopping and sugar and <laughs> parties and you know all of the things that that happen during the the holidays so and and, and like we're made to feel guilty when we don't do that um and i think that the same is sometimes true with with activism and and also witchcraft where it's like you know well, well who are you if you're not fighting something well i'm human <laughs> and, and i just need a minute <laughs> right um I think that, you know, the, that, the, what people say sometimes about having to fill your well up so that you have something to give, like fill up your own cauldrons, you have something to give. Uh, that's absolutely true. And I think that as I get older, so I'm almost 40, and I'm feeling that more and more like this real um, uh, attunement to when I need to step back and not be seen for a while. and. Um, and you know, try to figure out like what I really believe, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And re-examine and reflect and all of that. I'm really attuned to that now, much more so than I used to be. Maybe even you know, five years ago, um, where it was like, well, you said this before, so this has to be what you still believe. Just keep mm. going, keep running. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, con constant um, reassessment of who you are and what your sacred work is in the world requires a lot of rest. And so, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really easy to burn out. And I think a lot of us um, do struggle with that paradox between, especially with the social media piece, I have learned so much about what I believe in and about activism and about mobilization mm -hmm. through the people that I'm following on social and that I've become like real friends with. Um, it's, you know, it, what people say about that's not a real relationship and you can't co-regulate over digital is that's, a, that's false. That's just right. not true because I do it all the time. <laughs> um, but, but there is that uh, tension between also just getting burnt out, like your nervous systems just too much stimulation yes. and also too much conflicting information and the burnout of, of just like, I don't even know what I believe anymore because this doesn't feel quite right. And, um, and now the fight is within me instead of out there. And that's mm -hmm. just exhausting. So I really appreciated that part. And, and mm -hmm. then you move finally in the last part of the book to the book of ether. Can you talk about some of the themes there? Mm hmm. Yeah, ether is it's the most difficult book to talk about out of the five elements, right? Because it kind of transcends language, but it's it is the it is the unseen forces. Um, and I say unseen because they're not readily seen, but I do think, you know, people that are clairvoyant or more attuned to the subtle energies, um, can see them. So I, I get asked about that a lot. You know, people that are like, well, I can see ghosts and I can see fairies. And I was like, well, not everyone can, <laughs> right? yeah. but good for you. Um, and so, so yeah, so the ether is, uh, it's the place where we don't have all the answers. It's the place where mystery lives. It is less tangible. It is uh, very akin to the dream realm and the collective unconscious. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, 
it's difficult to describe, but, but it, it is, you know, it, at this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, we're just moving into that place of requiring the dark and requiring quiet. And um, I've done all sorts of psychic and mediumship trainings over the years. And that's always like one of the first lessons of the better trainings <laughs> is, that, is that you need stillness and darkness in order to really be able to hear and attune to the messages that you're receiving that aren't so in your face. Um, so that is the ethereal realm and we don't, we don't live there, right? It's, it's ether is space. Um, in Ayurveda, ether is space and we're just always trying to fill the spaces mm -hmm. and we have to try to not fill the spaces. There's this great line in um, The Witch of Portobello. Have you read that book? No. Nope. Uh, it's so good. Uh, it's fiction, but The Witch of Portobello, he, he says like there, there's a, a witch who's trying to learn calligraphy and she thinks that she's mastered it. And then her elder teacher says, well, you've mastered the letters, but you haven't mastered the space is in between the letters mm. and it's like that's that's it that's the answer to everything <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting because I, yeah I think those of us who were born or feel like we were born with a really highly developed spiritual yearning can have a very high degree of comfort with the mystery but one of the beautiful things about it is just like you said in the, in the start of this that, that we don't know all the answers and there's a kind okay. of deliciousness in finally being in a place where where actually mm -hmm. something that I haven't anticipated could occur. I, there's a deliciousness right. to that when you're somebody who's like really good at patterning or tracking or has this very mm -hmm. strong intuition and sixth sense, sixth sense about the world that actually going into the darkness and finding your edge where you don't know is mm -hmm. um, challenging and beautiful and can be uncomfortable, but in a good mm -hmm. direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. When you were writing this book, uh, what, what did you want people to know about integrating all of the five elements within them? Like, what are the main themes you hope people will take away um, from reading The Holy Wild? I think when I, when I was writing it um, and, and then in reflecting on writing it, it's not so much about integrating all the elements as it is about knowing that you can feel drawn more toward one at a certain time of the year or in your life and then feel and then cycle and come around you know we can feel very fiery sometimes and then come to the place of rest in ether and that that's okay mm -hmm. and so there's kind of this rich palette in nature that is the elements and it's okay if you feel a little bit more blue one day than red another day. And I think that people that are, uh, that they're coming to witchcraft. And certainly when I was coming to witchcraft in my twenties, that I really wish I had been told that, that it's okay. If you wake up one day and you're like, I'm not a witch today. And I, I don't care that it's the full moon and right. And, and that that would be fine. And it doesn't mean that you have to throw the whole thing out. Mm -hmm. It's just that we are cyclical creatures and we change all the time. So um, it's not so much about um, attending to all of the elements at once as it is knowing that they do all live and cycle within us all the time just like they do in nature and so um, if you find yourself feeling more of an affiliation to one than the other that that's fine and 
run with that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other important piece um, that I was really focused on while I was writing the book was that I wanted it to be about you know, these revision stories of the traditionally condemned women Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and how they meet your own story because uh, of the way that I was raised. It was, um, it was difficult to accept the parts of myself that I was told were shameful, that I was given stories of women as like teaching tools. And it's like, this is why this is shameful. So in going back and revisioning the stories and it's like, well, you know, maybe the mother of Babylon wasn't this beacon of all things evil. Maybe the end times are good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, so I wanted it to be about where the story of the archetype meets the story of the reader. And so that's why the, the opportunities to journal on their own, the the reader's own lived experiences in there, because to me that, that is more important than anything that might be in the book is just considering how the stories of these archetypes are your story or the reader's story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think those of us who do have a strong affinity for some of what I've called the dark women archetypes or, you know, those, Mm -hmm. those kind of difficult women in the back row going, excuse me, I, I have a comment, (laughs) you know, or like, just like, won't won't let it go. It's like me at my neighborhood meeting last night, like, just like, um, um, and so it, you know, unpopular and uncomfortable for many, but some of us do just feel these strong affinities and it's so nice to, um, hear these stories. And then when they are framed, in such a way that we can befriend those parts of ourselves. There's a, like almost a biological feeling of rightness about it, that it's like, right, I don't Mm -hmm. actually think this is how the story (laughs) was written. I kind of think that's a patriarchal overlay. And this Mm -hmm. sounds a lot more right (laughs) to me. So I really, really appreciate you doing all of that work and really, obviously really um, connected with and embodied and befriended um, those archetypes because the, um, the, the verses are really beautiful. And so are the rituals. So Mm -hmm. how did you when you were writing and how do you now personally manage grief and rage um maybe partly in just the fact that we've had to work so hard to fucking resurface these stories and and elbow some space and 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 you know we continue to see the um rolling back of women's rights and um mm-hmm. you know on the one hand we can we're more visible perhaps politically or you know in corporate or different places but on the other hand you know things are being stolen away there's a real slap back so how do you cope with the grief and rage of that mm-hmm. yeah um i think first and foremost i try to validate those two things in me and and so if I'm trying to like run away from either grief or rage that you know that that's something that has to be looked at and then you know stopped because I do feel like I kind of live in grief rage and gratitude maybe those are the three states that I live in all the time but like equally so (laughs) (laughs) Um, and grief and gratitude like you know those very much are are twins for me, but uh, yeah, grief, I, I don't know. I, I've been really uh, cautious of not drinking my grief. I did a, a training with Dr. Estes over the summer uh, and that was what she said, like, don't, don't drink your grief when you leave here. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, that's, 
that's something that my Irish blood really loves doing is drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, th there's this this practice that my my dear friend um, Shine Blackhawk introduced me to, which is um, just like a primal yell that is ugly. I mean, not like not the ones that sound like you're like acting, right? Mm -hmm. Like the real deep, like the only other time um, I sound that way is like when I'm, when I was in labor, like that's mm -hmm. the only time I can be so like, there's <laughs> real like from the belly, like very low pitched, um, just the sound of rage, right? Mm -hmm. Like bone mm -hmm. rattling. And I don't feel that I need to do it regularly. I feel like for me, it's like once every couple of weeks, I don't know that it's medicine that would serve everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, like being able to let that part of my voice that I never let erupt, like let that out. Um, especially like in nature, because you know, the trees can hold it and the ground can mm -hmm. hold it that's been something that's been really good rage medicine for me. Mm. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love, I, I, you know, if I were walking through the woods and heard your primal rage scream, I'd be like, yes, <laughs> somebody's having it and doing it. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for, um, also, uh, not just taking the time, but, you know, writing a book and, and birthing that creative, um, uh, project and, and bringing forth that particular body of work. I, I can only imagine as somebody who probably has, you know, worked through the witch wound, but you know, the burning times never ended as they say. And so you brought this <laughs> forth and there's quite a lot of exposure that goes with that. Um, but I just want to express my gratitude. It's so wonderful to uh, read the revisionist uh, stories and have them um, speak my mind, you know? So uh, yeah, I really appreciated that. Thanks so much, Danielle. Mm, thank you, Carmen. Wow, we covered a lot in that half hour, didn't we? <laughs> we'll have to have Danielle back soon to talk about her forthcoming third title, Seasons of Moon and Flame, The Wild Dreamer's Journey of Becoming, to be released on March 10th, 2020. It's available now for pre-order. I've been reading an advanced copy, and I am loving the focus on crone, hag, and elder stories. Links for Danielle's website, online courses, and books can be found in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. Today, I'd like to thank the listeners I have discovered in Iceland. What is that? Please go over to my Instagram and say hello. I would love to know how the Icelanders, uh, how you came across my podcast. I'm fascinated. And uh, everyone else, hey, if you'd like to add your thoughts to our conversation, same thing. Hop onto Instagram and find this show's post in my feed. You'll find me by name at Carmen Spaniola, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Just come say hello and tell me your thoughts in the comments. I'd love to continue the conversation with you over there. Until next time, take care. <laughs> <laughs>